Friends, please keep your Bibles open to Philippians 1, 1 through 11. And now, would you partner with me in praying for our time together? Father God, without you, without Christ Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing this morning, at least nothing of any eternal significance. We invite you, Father, to come in power so that my heart, my mind, these friends' hearts and minds would be transformed by your gospel. So draw near, Father, in this place to me, to these friends, to this, to your saving gospel work, to your strengthening work, to your liberating work. Father, so that you alone would be glorified. We ask this only because of your Son, Christ. Amen. Friends, I have a lot of favorite movies, but one of my all-time favorite movies is J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. This story, seriously, this story has a ridiculously diverse group of main characters. First, we have these four hobbits. Here are these tiny little men with large hairy feet. Then we have these two fierce male warriors, handsome, I might add, and they're always ready to do battle. Then we have a tall, thin wizard who, at, at first in the movie, he's gray, and then he turns this brilliant white. And then we have an elf who has pointed ears and who can perform amazingly acrobatic stunts. And finally, we have this small little man, this little dwarf. He's really hairy, and he can throw around an axe like it was a toothpick. And he loves to kill and keep track of the or and keep track of orgs. In Tolkien's story, these nine characters, who really bear little to no resemblance to each other, they form this unlikely partnership. In spite of their differences, they are united in this partnership, in this common goal. They are willing to die. They are willing to lose everything in their pursuit of this common goal. And what is this goal? It is the destruction of the ring and the defeat of the powerful evil that this ring holds over Middle-earth. In fact, they are really partners. They are partners in their mutual commitment to this goal. At this point, you might be asking yourself, so what do these diverse group of characters have in common with the first 11 verses of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians? Well, let me tell you, partnership. That's what they have in common. It is a partnership, which is a committed per pursuit of a common goal. And for the Apostle Paul and the Philippians, they have a partnership in the gospel, a partnership that is not based on destroying an evil, but a partnership that is based on a mutual commitment in believing the gospel and daily living out gospel truths. Did you hear that again, friends? Believing the gospel and living the gospel. In these first 11 verses of this letter, you will see the partnership in the gospel Paul has with the Philippians. You will see several aspects of gospel partnership, and you will learn a little bit about the partners themselves. And finally, you will see the importance of prayer in gospel partnership. Listen again as I read the first two verses in the first chapter of Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, you should notice that Paul includes Timothy in his greeting, even though we will see in verse 3 that the letter was really written by Paul, not by both of them. But let's just focus on how Paul describes their partnership. He says they are servants. When he says servants of Christ Jesus, he actually seems to be describing a partnership of sorts. So bear with me as I try to explain this. As you know, servants have a common purpose, or you could even call it a common partnership, to serve whatever master they belong to at that moment. <clears throat> I have a lot of favorite movies and TV shows, so I'm going to tell you about another one. This TV show is called Downton Abbey. And in this TV show, there is this head butler, Mr. Carson, and there is a head housekeeper, Mrs. Hughes. Both of these characters together are partners in their service to the Crawley family, who at the time is their master. Both Mr. Carson and Mrs. Hughes are adamant about serving the Crawleys well. They have both dedicated their life to this common goal, to this common partnership. When we come back to Paul's letter, Paul and Timothy are partners, servants to their master, who is Christ Jesus. They, are, they have committed their lives to serving Christ Jesus. And this partnership is based on a mutual commitment to the gospel, believing the gospel of Christ Jesus and living it. Paul also includes in this partnership all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. The wording of this partnership is a little different. Paul says the Philippians with the overseers and deacons are saints in Christ Jesus. Here we see a different aspect of gospel partnership. In Christ means that the Philippians believe the gospel message they heard through Paul's preaching, and now in their believing they have a new relationship. A new partnership. They are not just in this physical world, but they are now in Christ Jesus. And all of you who believe the gospel are in Christ Jesus as well. Friends, would you listen as I point out just one aspect of being in Christ Jesus, and that is knowing that this new partnership is not held together by the Philippian believers or by you. It is held together by God through the person of Christ Jesus. It is held together by Christ Jesus' death on the cross. It is held together by the suffering he endured in order to satisfy God's holy wrath for your sins. It is held together by the gospel, not by you. <clears throat> and in fact, there is great inequality in this partnership. Jesus suffered for you because of your sin you deserve death, separation from a holy God, but instead you are given life, eternal life, through faith in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is the gospel. And when you, th and when you think about it, what partnership in the world is anything like this? Christ Jesus gives his life. He gives everything for you, a sinner. One person gives everything, yet all who believe in him and partner together in the gospel are given eternal life. Friends, hear me please. If you are finding yourself outside of this gospel partnership, I invite you to join us. 
to join with all who have put their faith in Christ Jesus. This Jesus who satisfies completely God's holy wrath for your sin. I invite you to join us in believing this gospel and living out this gospel. Come and be in Christ with us. So just take a minute with me and think about what we've just talked about. So we've talked about some aspects of gospel partnership. We've seen that partners as servants. We've seen partners in Christ. And we've seen God in Christ as the foundation of all these partnerships. So now, would you look with me as we continue in verses 3 to 5. And here, Paul expresses his feelings about his gospel partnership. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I don't know about you, but as I read this, I wonder who are these people that Paul says he remembers and prays for with joy? Who are these people that partnered with him in the gospel from the first day? And what in the world is the first day? As I tried to do some uh, Google searches on this, just finding out some information, historical information, I found that church historians believe that Paul wrote this letter about 10 to 12 years after he first visited the area of Philippi. He was, at the time of the letter, he was most likely in a Roman jail cell. So if that's the case, then these Philippian believers have remained steadfast in their partnership with Paul for about 10 to 12 years. And on your own, you can read all of the historical account of Paul's first visit to Philippi. You can actually find it in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. But for now, I will just summarize what I learned about these first Philippian believers. First, we have Lydia, an independently wealthy cloth merchant. She was very successful, yet drawn into her gospel partnership through her mind, through her intellect. She had, on her own, studied, and she knew and worshipped the God of the Old Testament. And when Paul told her about Jesus, she believed. Then we have a servant girl, the exact opposite of wealthy, successful Lydia. This servant girl is the lowest of the low in society. And on top of that, she is possessed by an evil spirit. But God, in his mercy, showed up in her life and cast out this evil spirit. Next, we have a Roman jailer who is this middle-class, blue-collar worker whose heart was moved to repent through an act of mercy that actually saved his life. The Apostle Paul loves these ordinary people from very different walks of life. Paul is so thankful for their partnership in the gospel. Hear me, ladies. He's so thankful that they are believing the gospel and daily living it. I, too, have experienced a gospel partnership. I've experienced a gospel partnership with you all. You were with me through some very dark and physically painful days. So many of you are significant partners in my gospel story over this past year. It was through your relationships with me that I have experienced more deeply the love of Christ Jesus. It was through your love, care for me, 
that I saw my hardships, my physical pain, serving God's gospel purposes in me. It was through your partnership in the gospel that my heart was able to receive and accept my suffering as a gift from God. The gospel truly makes genuine good news out of every aspect of our lives, including the hard times. With my heart so filled with warmth and affection for you all, I can tell you today I can certainly relate to Paul's joyous thanksgiving for the partnership he has with the Philippians. Again, let's just take a minute and think about what we have learned so far. We have seen several aspects of gospel partnership, partners as servants, partners in Christ, God as the foundation of our partnership, ordinary people as partners. Paul continues on to express more of his feelings for his partners. Read with me in verses 6 through 8. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Friends, again we see evidence of Paul's exceptionally warm feelings towards his partners in the gospel. Listen again as I read it. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, and for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. But I I just want to point out something. Sandwiched in between Paul's expression of warmth and affection is his hope for their future. And I think we need to just take a minute and think about that. What is Paul talking about when he says with great confidence in verse 6? Read with me again. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Friends, listen, the good work is the gospel. So what is good work of the gospel? It's God's gift, not just for the Philippians' eternal salvation and yours, but it's also for daily living. It's the power the Philippians and you have through the Holy Spirit to sin less, to love more quickly, to forgive more readily. Listen, friends, from day one, Lydia, the jailer, and all the others in Philippi that were saved through the years, they they were sovereignly chosen by God. Sovereignly chosen for the good work of the gospel. Sovereignly chosen for daily gospel living. God in his sovereignty saved them from day one. And it is that same sovereign God who will keep them until the day of Christ Jesus. God will keep them in believing and living out the gospel. Friends, he will do the same for you. He will keep you in believing and living out the gospel. So let's take a look at another part of the scripture. So read with me again. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I want to just take a few minutes and and think about what is this day? It is actually yet another aspect of the gospel. It is the day 
Jesus Christ will return to earth, and on that day he will establish his eternal kingdom. This is what Paul is speaking about when he says, at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is so confident that he, and here Paul is referring to God, that God will keep the Philippians. He will keep them in the gospel, living it out every day until this world ends and eternity begins. Friends, would you please notice with me, you do not keep yourselves. It is all of God. Everything is from God. Your belief in the gospel and even your perseverance in living out the gospel every day. Everything is from God. It was for the Philippians, and it is the same for you today. And again, when, when you think with me about it, what partnership in this world is anything like this? Christ Jesus gives his life, gives everything for you, a sinner. One person gives everything, yet all who believe in him and partner together in the gospel are given eternal life. And finally, friends, let's just take a look at an essential piece of gospel partnership. Prayer. And as one speaker calls prayer, he says, prayer is the invisible engine that propels the work of gospel partnership. When you think about it, even though Paul was most likely chained between two Roman guards at the time he was writing this letter, his heart was not chained. Through his prayer in this letter, he expresses such great emotional detail about what he feels for his Philippian partners. And he says that he makes his prayer for these partners with joy. And the joy comes out of their partnership in the gospel. Hear me, friends. The joy comes from believing the gospel and living out the gospel. Let's just take a minute and think about it. Why does he tell them he is praying for them in the first place? Is he trying to show off how spiritual he is? Is he looking for personal accolades? Like, think about it. What is he doing? Can I just give you um, an example of why I don't think it's any of those things I just said? Several weeks ago, Shinu's mother came up to me after morning service and she greeted me with a big beautiful smile as she always does as she always greets everyone she was so happy and let me tell you do you do you want to know what she was so happy about she was so happy to tell me so happy and eager to tell me how she and her friends have been praying for me from the time she first heard of the pain and suffering that I was enduring well over, friends, listen to me, well over a year ago, she and her friends have not stopped praying. And this filled her heart with joy to tell me of how she has partnered with me. She and her friends have partnered with me in prayer. Friends, she was not seeking accolades. Paul was not seeking accolades. Shainu's mom and Paul are just using what the speaker called the invisible engine that powers gospel partnership, prayer. And now if you'll, again, read with me in your Bibles, read with me verses 9 through 11. We're going to look at some of the rich gospel truths that we can find in Paul's prayer. Listen as I read again. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Friends, I don't know about you, but praying can often seem hard. I love it when other people pray for me, but sometimes when it's myself praying, sometimes it's hard. Does God, I think about, does God really hear my prayer? What is the right way to pray? What do I do when he doesn't answer my prayers or answer them in the way I asked? Why is prayer such a mystery? As much as I have favorite movies and TV shows, I also have many favorite books. And one of those books is Paul Miller's book. Um, He is the author of a book entitled A Praying Life. And in that book, he says something which I think is pretty profound. He says prayer is meant to be the conversation... Prayer is meant to be the conversation where your life and your God meet. I think in many ways that Paul's prayer for the Philippians came out of his own suffering. And his prayer is where their, the Philippians and Paul's, gospel partnership and God meet. It is certainly a beautiful model to use as you pray. And in fact, it is one that I use often for myself and for others in my life. So let's just take a look at this as we end our talk. First, Paul prays that their love may abound more and more. Friends, do you hear that? The Philippians are actually not lacking in love, but Paul is praying that their love for God and others would have no limit, that they would actually be living out the gospel in their love for one another. Paul prays not only for abounding love, but abounding love that will grow along with knowledge and all discernment. Hear me, friends, not a shapeless, uninformed overflow of love, but a love that is deeply rooted in a knowledge of God in Christ Jesus. Listen again, believing the gospel. I think, I, I think it can be said, like, our culture is saturated with love songs. And if I'm to be honest, they're just not really my thing. But I know they are for many people. And many people in our culture are very sentimental about this idea of love. And if you think about it, you can see this idea captured very clearly in the lyrics of one of the Beatles songs. I'm not going to sing it for you, but here are some of the lyrics. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. This idea is repeated over and over and over again. All you need is love. But honestly, I think Paul would say that this idea is foolish. Love without knowledge is not love. He wants the Philippian believers to have a love that is deeply rooted in a knowledge of God in Christ Jesus. In fact, in gospel truths. Paul goes on to pray, for abounding love, knowledge, and discernment, so that the Philippians may approve what is excellent. In other words, friends, that they would know gospel truths and apply those truths to every circumstance in their life. In fact, listen, they would be living out the gospel. As Paul's prayer continues, he asks God for abounding love, knowledge, and discernment so that the Philippians may approve what is excellent and that they will arrive pure and blameless at the day of Christ. I think, in fact, here that I'm not, I don't believe really that what 
when Paul says blameless, he means, he means sinless. Because we are not sinless, and we will not be sinless until we get to eternity. Nor does he even mean perfect. And we will go into this idea in greater depth in one of our later talks. But in chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, Paul actually talks about desiring to be more like Christ Jesus. But he says, I have yet to achieve this perfection. So he does not want them, not only does he, he want them to remain pure and blameless, he goes on to say that he wants them to be full of deeds that are powered by their partnership in Christ Jesus. Not through efforts of their own, but through the sustaining power of Christ Jesus. Listen again as I read the prayer again. Abounding in love, knowledge, and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless at the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. How can they be filled with fruit? Well, listen for a minute. A tree, we know that a tree that bears fruit is alive, but really a fruit tree that has an abundance of fruit shows real evidence of a farmer lovingly caring for that tree, pruning that tree. If you'll listen with me, because Jesus himself said in John 15, 5, if you'll just listen, listen and you don't have to turn there, John 15, 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul wants the Philippians to be a community of believers that have an abundance of fruit in their lives. Fruit, good deeds that are a result of Christ Jesus working in and through them. Gospel partnership. Listen, friends, believing the gospel and living out the gospel in their daily lives. And finally, Paul ends his prayer by asking God to answer his prayer for the Philippians so that who gets glorified? God alone would get the glory and praise. Gospel community then and gospel community now, it really is a place of unlikely partners, common, ordinary people. And it's a, but it's a community where you get to partner with others who are common and ordinary and yet very different from yourself. And our common bond, your common bond in this partnership is Christ Jesus. Listen, friends, believing in his saving work and every day living out gospel truths. So how can we partner together in believing and living out gospel truths? I'm going to be honest, this passage had me thinking a lot about our own pastors here at Seven Mile Road. I think our pastors love us, I think they pray for us, and I think they do it with the same joy and intensity as we, as we saw that Paul did for the Philippians. And I think too, and I think you would agree with me, that they really do do their best to give 100% to the work of gospel ministry in our community. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. But God did not call perfect people to partnership. He called people in Christ Jesus to partnership. And I would just say, we too should partner with them. What are ways that we could partner with them? Well, first of all, it really requires a willingness on our part to give 100% of ourselves to our community and to this gospel partnership. And it will require sacrifices, your time, your resources, your talents. And I think also 
when I when I thought thought about this letter, I, I actually had a question. Could this letter be written about you, about us? And in many ways, I think yes, it could be written about our Seven Mile Road community. I think one of the ways that we are confirming the gospel is um, this willingness to engage in talks about racial reconciliation. The gospel really calls us to partner together with all believers, regardless of their race, socioeconomic status, or anything else. Yet I wonder, are there ways in which you could step out of your comfort zone and invite others who are not like you into your life? Invite them to dinner. Invite them for a cup of coffee. Ask them questions. Allow someone who is not like you into your life. And finally, prayer. Prayer is such an essential part of gospel partnership. And recently, just real quick, I was asked to partner with someone in praying for their daughter. This person asked me not only to pray, but actually to let his daughter know that I was praying in much the same way that Shainu's mom let me know she was praying for me. And he asked me to do this by sending her a letter. I would just encourage you, are there ways you are partnering with others in prayer? Are you doing it consistently and specifically? I would even encourage you to use scripture, use Paul's prayer, and seek out someone. If you're not doing that, seek out someone who you could partner with on a consistent and specific basis to pray, not only for each other, but for your families. Finally, friends, you are smart, intelligent, caring, loving, giving women, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do good works. To do good works, I urge you to come together in even greater ways than you are or have in the past. Friends, your foundation is your partnership in Christ Jesus. Your purpose is to glorify God in everything you do. Your goal is the advancement of the gospel. And friends, there is no place I would rather be doing that than right here with you all. So let's get started. Let's start by praying. Friends, would you partner with me in prayer? Father God, it is my prayer for these friends that their love, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that these friends may approve what is excellent and that these friends would be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, that these friends would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. Father, to the glory and praise of you, our God. Amen.